Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is Mr. John Morris with our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Maxon Outfitters, made by anglers for people that fish. Lid rig, use your head, snip different, trout lander nets, exploration through innovation, and Morris Flacco eating big. Our guest this evening is Mr. Steve Pogojinski, also known as Pogo Pike or formerly Pogo Pike, now Pogo Palm Tree. Steve, big, thanks so much for coming on this evening, bro. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. And um, yeah, I, I'm just it's so great to meet you guys, you know, video meet you guys. But uh, I will throw this out there. You guys are welcome where I'm currently living now in Florida to come down and fish anytime you want. Well, oh. I, all right, I'm on the next plane. Yeah. And, and as, soon, as soon as airfare is not like $4,000, like one way, I'm on the next plane. I got to right. definitely pick you up. And I'll, I'll pick you up the airport. It's 30 minutes away. We've got a couple spare rooms you can crash in. So all you need money is for gas and some food. Look at that. John, yeah. what are we waiting for? What are we doing? Why are we even doing this podcast? Let's go yeah, fish. But, yeah, let's just go fish, man. Oh, uh, Wow. So, so John uh, set this interview up and, and I was like, who's this Pogo guy? Who's this Pogo guy? Because I had not heard of you. Obviously, we're not yeah. we, up until a couple minutes ago. We weren't following each other on Instagram, but right. I, I saw exactly why John had tracked towards you as soon as I went to your website. Yeah. I was like, he said Esox one time and I was like, huh, Pike, Esox, flies. That's what I thought about. And I thought about right. John and obviously drawing some inspiration from some of your fly patterns not only that but the, your your fishing but you know fill our listeners in a little bit on on who you are where you're from and what you're doing in this fishing community yeah well thank you for the intro and um yeah so i you know i'm in my mid 40s i've been fishing since i could walk my dad uh you know who passed away last year who was actually one of like my best friends in life so to speak he he was a good, a big outdoorsman. Uh, took my brother and I fishing at a very young age. Um, when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, I wanted to be Bill Dance. Um, you know, when the shows came on ESPN, I would put the VHS recorder on. And if anybody's listening, knows, remembers what a VHS is. And I would record the bass fishing shows. And then my mom would give me like every Christmas, I'd get to spend a hundred dollars at Bass Pro Shops catalog. When you called Susie in Nebraska and be like, you know, I'll take five of item one, three, four. Anyway, so. I was just, and just loved it. I just couldn't get enough of it. I grew up in the country in um, kind of like Northwest Connecticut. And uh, yeah, then I went on with life and played, went to college. I played football in college, blah, 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 small school, but it was fun. And then got into the corporate world and always kept fishing every opportunity I had, but it was limited as I got older. Um, and then when I finally settled into a career, so to speak, in the corporate world, which I don't no longer participate in, um, I really kind of just took my passion of fishing to the next level um uh, you know i didn't really start fly fishing until 2009 
So it's been 13, 14, 13, 14 years now. But and at that point, I was in my early 30s. So that was like, I started a little bit late. Social media wasn't really a big thing back then, as you guys probably remember. So a lot of the stuff I learned was, you know, through trial and error. And um, make a very long story short, I had about two years into fly fishing, I um, had my first pike experience, uh, which wasn't planned. Um, didn't even know really what a pike was, never saw one in person. And it blew up on a topwater buzz bait, a spinning rod, you know, on top of the water. I was, my girlfriend at the time was with me in my drift boat, my first drift boat, I didn't even know how to freaking row. Um, and it was like five feet from the boat. I was like, shit my pants. I was like, what the fuck was that? Went back to the fly shop, said, hey guys, what's this Northern Pike thing? And then fast forward, you know, up until this past winter when I moved to Florida, you know, uh, 10 years of just kind of, dedicating my life to pike and muskie specifically on the fly although I, I did a lot of spin guys and I'm, I was always you know neutral to whatever whatever vehicle you wanted to use to catch a pike or muskie so uh yeah I just literally I didn't look left I didn't look right I didn't focus on any other species unless a bunch of guys were like my friends like come on come trout fishing with us I'm like okay um but carp also became another passion of mine I know John is big into carp and, and gar and stuff like that, which always amazes me for some reason, bigger toothy critters or non-toothy critters like a carp. But yeah, so I just committed myself to that wholeheartedly. And I can tell you a lot of stories in between about my pike and muskie adventure, but that kind of sums it up. Hey, what, what, a what a transition though, like 13, 14 years. That's, that's not a short amount of time by any stretch to be right. A fly angler by any means i just see a lot of kids these days starting in their 20 early 20s or even teens for that matter with social media just being kind of a lot of information accessible um i kind of envy those those that generation a little bit because i, I wish i had that exposure to it because i think well actually no i don't I, you know because i think if i got exposed to this you know pike and muskie on the fly when i was in my 20s i don't think i would ever went to work so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man. it was good it's been good yeah it was great. you know and i i was lucky enough to mentor under brad bowen um i was a client of brad's in 2013 or 14 um he put a thing on facebook i saw you guys did you guys see musky country zero to hero no 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 you john have you seen it uh-uh do you guys yourself a favor Watch Musky Country, just Google Musky Country Zero to Hero. Right. You, know, you know who Brad is, right? So he won, they won him and um, Rob Thompson, who who filmed, basically filmed the film with him. I got to know Rob really well. And I, I, I fished with Rob. They won a bunch of awards on the film festival uh, oh, for nice. Musky Country Zero. It's a very inspiring film. Um, if you don't know much about Pike and Musky, but you're kind of into it. Now, this is, you got to rewind back to 2000 and, when I first saw that video it was 2011 or 12 when it came out and social, there wasn't all the social media on the, on the subject. And that came out, it was literally like, I don't know, the best movie you've ever watched or, you know, the best soft porn you've ever seen for, for fishing for pike and musky or musky specifically. And it really kind of redirected the, the trajectory of my life. Um, so I was watching that and I literally bought it at the fly shop. Um, that's when, you know, we used to buy DVDs all the time. Um, now <laughs> you can download Musky Country Zero Hero. Um, uh, and 
I watched that probably literally, I'm not kidding you guys, 30 times in a week. And um, then it had like these outtakes and it had how to tie a fly, how to tie like Brad's uh, kind of articulated, uh, articulated fly uh, for Muskie. And uh, I, I went out with him uh, as a client, uh, first day of fishing with him on the boat, never caught a Muskie, never saw a Muskie, probably only at that point in my life, landed maybe 50 pike on the fly. And I just started kind of guiding for them at this point, um, just out of osmosis of being at the right place at the right time and people not really offering that service and me being so passionate about it. Um, and I caught, a, I caught a walleye with him the first three hours of the first day I was out there, it was two days. The walleye ended up being a world record on the fly walleye. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> I've never caught another walleye since. If I ever hook a walleye, I'm going to shake it off because I don't ever want to touch another walleye. Um, so that, and the second day I got my first muskie on the fly with him. I was probably about a 42 or 43 inch muskie in like ripping fast water in early October, which I didn't know that Esox in, like inhibited that kind of water, but apparently they do. And it was fucking um, the most amazing experience. It's burned in my brain forever. And then I came back to Connecticut with even more of a passion for Esox and started looking up areas in the Northeast to fish for muskie. And I found some of the Susquehanna River, up in Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, or Pennsylvania, New York, um, you know, and then it just kind of then and then I decided to leave the corporate world at some point there in 2017, and I kind of built the Pogo Pike brand um, on social media and through my YouTube channel, um, and just try to build up a clientele of passionate nut jobs like myself, um, you know, and it just, yeah. And then that lasted, you know, from 2017 to this past fall, 2021. And then my fiance and I decided to, as the kids would say, send it. And we sold our house and most of our BS stuff that you need in the cold weather in Connecticut and moved to Florida. And now we're in Cape Coral, the Southwest Florida, Southwest part of Florida, um, near Fort Myers, south of like Tampa by two hours. And I, we just bought our first skiff a month ago got an 18 foot skiff and we're starting to chase some, you know, tarpon and snook right now and redfish. So are you guy are you guiding in Florida right now then? Not yet. No, not yet. Um, I, you know, one thing that I was priding myself on around guiding for pike and muskies, I was always really transparent with my clients. Um, you know, I never booked a trip without talking to someone on the phone for five or 10 minutes. I didn't overbook myself in case I had to like Jigger, jiggle people around because of weather and river conditions or fishing conditions. So, um, and I, and I was nervous even after doing it for eight years, every time I went out, I was a little nervous. Like, am I providing somebody the right, would I pay for what I'm about to do with somebody fishing wise? Would I pay for this? And, and I always look myself in the mirror, you know, and be like, okay, I gave my heart and soul. I put everything into it. And I do know what the fuck I'm talking about. And if we catch fish or not, you know, I'm leaving it all on the table. So to answer your question, um, Brian, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to evolve into that. I wouldn't feel comfortable right now taking anybody's money because I, I, I have a lot to learn down here. Um, so, you know, hopefully this time next year, yes. And it's going to be on a limited part-time basis um, because at my age, I don't want to really grind out five, six, seven days a week. You know, mm -hmm. um, if I guide a couple days a week, um, or two or three days a week, maybe in the busy season, which is a lot of the time down here, that'd be fine. And, uh, so yeah, so I've got a lot to learn and I'm kind of divulging, or kind of, you know, jumping in that process now with the left, cause we just got this boat a month ago or maybe six weeks ago now. 
So, you know, we got a handful of tarpon already, handful of snook, um, well, a lot of snook, um, kind of venturing into some redfish areas and learning the waters. You know, unlike freshwater rivers or lakes, I mean, the ocean's, the ocean's a beast, man. You can't, you can't look left and it's coming right. Like, you'll be wiped out in a second. So, a lot to learn. Yeah, well, and I didn't know if you had uh, kind of previously uh, spent time in Florida to, to get a little bit more of that, uh, I guess, uh, what would you say, so, some prior experience. Uh, did you guys go down there and travel, like, as a family to go down there and yeah, fish? Yeah, yep, okay. yep, yep. We, we've been to, like, southeast Florida a bunch. We've been to the Keys a bunch. Um, you know, did some trips with some friends in the Keys, even hired some guides. Um, like when I first moved here, we moved here two, almost three months ago. The first week I was here, I hired a guide. I'm like, I want to see the water. I want to see where I live. I, I mean, I've seen it, but I really want to experience it from a guide's perspective. Um, we went out and had a fun day. So yeah, there's some prior experience, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So dude, you got to tell me, is, is tarpon the new muskie? Yes. The new 100? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. No going back, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of fucked. Have you guys ever? <laughs> have you guys ever hooked one? No, dude. I catch I catch what they call mini tarpon, which are American shad. They're like three to five pounds, but those I've are never cool, gotten, man. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're they're badass, but uh, not not a full tarpon. Right, right. Yeah, John. It's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty intense. It's. And so, you know, what I'm learning is there's the migrating tarpon season, which is happening right now. So if anybody's looking to come to Southern Florida, not with me specifically, just in general and in your audience, you know, from the Keys, you know, Key West all the way up to Tampa and all the way up past Miami um, uh, and like Stort, Florida. Like I'm going to, I went Cody Rubner. He's a guide uh, in Stort, Florida is on the East Coast. I went, Kate and I, we're friends with him. We went out with him for fun a couple of weeks ago. We caught like some 30 pound jacks like you know to jack traval is like the permit, yeah, it's a, the permit of the it's a, like permit brother but they just have the different pr agent and you know people don't like oh permit but <laughs> tarpon fight our permit our jacks fight just as hard and just as crazy um so yeah so like the tar the tarpon migration you know seems to like start obviously in the southernmost parts of florida like the keys key west and you know april may ish and then everything really kicks up a notch late May all the way through June. So right now we're kind of getting these migrating 100 to 200 pound tarpon. Um, and it's just out of control. And then there's a residential tarpon that live in the canals around here um, that live in certain sections of the bays and whatnot in backcountry. So we're catching a little bit of both. You know, I did get an ocean tarpon probably about 70 pounds and caught a handful of like 20, 10 to 30 pounds um, tarpon in like the canals and in the shallower water backcountry. So, um, but, you know, when I, we first got here, it took like five or six trips to land and one on my own. Um, so they're, they're, they're nuts, man. They're fucking nuts. And like, they're smart. You know, you got to feed them. I always heard this terminology, like, you got to feed them. You got to feed them. Like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, and like, you literally got to place it up to them and you got to be at the right place, the right time with the right tempo and everything's got to come together. And then when you strip set on one and hook one, it's just, you know, it's hell, all hell breaks loose. And, you know, the whole bow to the king, like bow to the, like when the fish jumps and he's, he comes like you hook one and you're on for 
five, three, four, five seconds, guaranteed he just comes shooting out of the water, whether it's 10, 30, 10, 20, 30 pounds or 150 pounds, he just comes flying out of the water and you have to drop your rod tip. Because the first one I hooked, I did not. And sure enough, the hook came flying out. So I'm like, oh, there's something to that, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and they're just and they're just beautiful. When you get one close up, the scales, the size of the scales, the size of their eyeballs, they're just so majestic. It, it's a really neat fish. Um, so yeah, I'm fucked. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Well, everybody's got to have their thing, you know. And, and yeah. the the fact that you have the access to those types of tropical saltwater fish, like the tarp and like the jack rivoli, the, the, the permit all that stuff, bonefish even. Right. Um, it, it, that, that is what a trade-off you, you go from Esox predatory freshwater fish to like these, these massive like, target on the fly, big saltwater, warm saltwater, tropical fish. I mean, that's fucking cool. <laughs> Dude, it's, yeah. it's, it's badass. <laughs> yeah. And as so, I'm saying, I mean, you guys got to come down and experience it, man. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, definitely. It's always been on the list. Like I used to watch this show called Walker Key Chronicles. You probably remember that. I heard of that. I, don't, I, I know what you're talking about. Though, so it's not, I don't, I can't visualize it. Okay. So uh, like the whole starting sequence guy comes into some little key in, in the Bahamas, right? Okay. He flies in, they check his passport. So it's not us territory. So they check his passport. He goes out there and they're out there on a skiff in the yeah. flats. This is back in the eighties. So these guys are all single-handed. This is fucking Oh yeah. Man. Like these yeah. guys are men. They're out there. They're not, not none of this, you know, <laughs> space stuff. You know, sorry, spay guys, but these guys yeah. are fucking men. They're out there yeah. whipping a 10 or 12 weight single hander out there and they're burying these tarp. And the guy's like, and then there's the majestic tarp. And he talks like that. And this fucking nine foot fish comes out of the water flying. <laughs> he's up there on the bow. He's strippy. He's got like the old fucking, you know, 80s pit viper Don Johnson shit on, you know. Yeah. And he's just buddy. on it. I was like, I was five. I'm like, I'm going to go catch one of those. Those are so yeah. cool. You know, I'm like watching this thing I, every morning. I had to watch that. What, I mean, what got you to start, like, when you went to Florida? Did you go to Florida with the intention of fish, or did you go to Disneyland and, like, see some crazy shit happen and then go fishing? <laughs> um, no, we, you mean, why, the, what, what like, was, like, like the, what got you traveling to Florida? I, I guess oh. I should phrase my question better. What yeah. got you traveling to Florida? Was it for the fishing, or were you guys, like, going to, you know, no, Kennedy it, Space it, Center it, and doing the tourist thing? Yeah, no, we don't have any kids, um, so, it, and I've never been to Disneyland um, or World Rivers, which is not, but no, it was just really, so Kate, um, she lived in Key West when she was in her, her like early, early 20s. Um, I, I went to Florida for one of my corporate jobs back in my like 20s. But then when we, we first decided to come down here four years ago for a little two week vacay, it was to fish. It was to go to the Keys. I went to high school with a guide um you know and i actually guided a muskie i guided for uh i guided for muskie a captain that lives down in the keys as well so we hooked up with those guys and you know came for like to kind of take a break of connecticut winters and fish um just you know re like yourselves watch watching that chronicles and seeing different stuff on especially as social media is blown up um you know with permit like trying to catch a permit trying to catch a bonefish trying to catch a tarpon um, or even Barracuda for that matter, down in the Keys, which is like sight fishing for Northern Pike and Muskie on steroids because they go about 100 miles an hour um, and you could sight fish for them and they've got the teeth the size of um, um, 
Count Dracula or you know vampires. But yeah, so it, it was it was really geared towards the fishing, and then we just you know kind of fell in love with the lifestyle of having summer twelve months a year, uh, which I know, John. So where you are in Texas, right? Yes. I mean, what do your winters consist of? Is it pretty mild? Dude, typically it's pretty mild, but I mean, I've only lived here like a year and a half. Like, oh, okay. Well, I guess two, originally uh, Tennessee, dude. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, man. But, uh, dude, there, I mean, we had the snowmageddon. <laughs> yeah. It, it was pretty rough, but, you know, everyone's like, that's, that's an anomaly that never happens. Right, but you know, I, I think the coldest we got was like in the, like maybe like eighteen or something, dude. Like cold, but not like, you know, chill you to the bones kind of deal. Eighteen Fahrenheit. Yeah. Okay. Oh, in Texas, so it got pretty cold then. Yeah. 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 I think the coldest we I've been talking to my neighbors and people I know around here. I think I think the coldest it gets in the winter, like maybe at night you might get some forty degree weather, like maybe like you know but it's not really long long lived apparently um but and where are you in texas again now i'm in northeast texas dude i'm uh, okay i'm on the border of arkansas oh okay nice nice okay um yeah so yeah so that's so the climate is pretty similar than tennessee then i guess uh no yeah dude pretty much for the most part uh yeah. i think tennessee is kind of more mild uh, there's there's more precipitation in Tennessee. Okay. But uh, I mean, overall, the summers aren't as hot, but the winters are a little colder. It's, it's just kind of like a mild Texas. Texas is so fucking hot, dude. Like it's just supposed to be a hundred degrees Sunday. Oh geez. Okay. <laughs> you're inland as well. Like that's we're, yeah. We're like ten minutes from the ocean, which you know you get a little reprieve, but not, you know it's not nothing like being on the ocean yeah <laughs> when you're when you're land like that in the south it's it gets hot dude so are you gonna are you gonna get after some of those gar yeah so the that's the other thing that i haven't even had time to explore yet and it, it'll happen over time but you know just like back to my original story about being wanting to be bill dance you know obviously when i was a kid i was like wanting to fish like at lake okeechobee and just catch a 10 pound yeah. in florida that was like a dream of mine and i'm gonna make that come true in the next year or try my best at least. So yeah, there's there's just a ton of fresh water stuff around here that have gar and monster largemouth and peacock bass. So um, Cape Coral apparently has like the largest canal system in the world. Um, the, the amount of square miles of canal and here there's, there's freshwater canals and obviously um, saltwater canals. So the freshwater canals are loaded, not loaded, but apparently are excellent. It's excellent largemouth peacock and gar fishing. So when I started seeing your gar videos, John, um, and, and pictures on Instagram, I was like, wow, that's cool. I got to learn how to do that because one of the bait <laughs> shops in town, I've been hanging out there just to get to know these guys. And we've been BS and they take like the, the dead shiners every day and they walk across the street, <laughs> the freshwater canal and they chuck like a dozen to two dozen, three dozen dead shiners and gar and like, you know, five to eight pound largemouth and larger apparently come out of nowhere and smash the live bait. And then so does the gar. And I was like, holy shit, that's a guy. And so anyways, then I started seeing your shit. I was like, oh God, this is so funny. So yeah, I'm gonna have to try it. I haven't tried dude, it yet. Dude, so you've been doing a lot of night fishing too, right? 
Yeah, yeah, right. So it's um, it's been conducive to kind of getting set up, our life set up here. You know, we've been here not even three months, so there's a lot to do to get dialed in. Everything from, you know, registering our vehicles, driver's license, to setting up a house, to getting just things life in order, getting a boat. So and then we're we're trying to work. We, uh, my Kate and I, um, we have like a little side business that we do during the day. So we're trying to get that, you know, up and running here in, in Florida. And then um, we're, so the night fishing has been conducive because like you get shit all done all day. You go out like around seven, eight o'clock, the sun goes down at 8.30 and you're, we're, we've been fishing the canals and uh, the lights um, around the docks, which I could talk about that for an hour, but I won't bore you guys. But yeah, fishing the lights <laughs> around the right. docks for tarpon and snook. You're literally sight fishing for them at night in the dark like they're on these lights and they move around the lights and you're trying to it's sick it's fucking sick so, so, so do you see them like uh, i mean when you're at night the water's pretty clear where you're at isn't it it's not like really churned up or muddy unless you got like an onshore thing coming in no it's so the can well the canals are just it's almost still i mean you get a tide with the canals from the ocean but it's it's minimal but you the water definitely moves um, but it's not like, like, uh, Bermuda or the Keys water where it's blue, blue, light blue. It's a darker water. Uh, it's clear. You could see, you know, good, great visibility, but yeah, you're literally like, um, here, let me see if I can, I'm going to see if you guys can see this photo on my phone. I'm going to show you something here. Just, just give you a vision. Yeah, because I'm just curious about, uh, when, when you're fishing them at night, are you seeing them subsurface or are they cruising the surface looking for surface bait? They're, they're, they're in, they're in and around the lights. So you're, you know, the canal is like, it's, they're like streets, just picture a grid system of a street, right? So, you know, you're going down the center of a canal and on the right is houses and on the left is houses. And it's, it's, you know, perfectly straight seawalls on both sides of the, uh, the canal from the houses. And, you know, on average, they're probably, I would guess, um, 30, probably a, maybe a hundred feet wide. You know, there's docks on the right, docks on the left, about a hundred feet across each, you know, the, the canal is. And around the people, because everybody has a dock in their backyard. Well, 90% of the people who live on canals have a dock in their backyard that's on mm -hmm. in the water, in the canal. And their boat is either pulled up onto it, but most people have lifts where they lift the boat out of the water in the, on the dock system there. And a lot of people, they put, now when I first started doing this or somebody was telling me about this two months ago, I was thinking like spotlights off your dock, looking into the water. These are like green, lime green lights. Oh, submerged. Submerged at the bottom okay. of the canal next to their dock system. And they, they illuminate probably, I would guess anywhere from a five to 10 foot radius green light. And the and the and so just picture this big circle, you know, it's five to ten feet wide in diameter, and the fish literally are circling it, the perimeter of it, going through the middle of it, going out of the light area, and then back into it. And there's a lot of like right now, there's a lot of glass minnows, like these little tiny glass minnows, which is what we've been using for flies that have been working well for the tarpon, and they just feed on these lights all night long. So you're literally watching a 10 to 30 pound tarpon, 30 to 
30 pounds seems to be the higher up echelon class of tarpon that are in these lights. We've seen a couple that are probably pushing 40 and you're trying to stay off the light far enough because any noise you splash, that's why spin fishing is not really conducive for these guys. So with the fly, obviously a softer presentation. So we're, you're trying to back off the light system as far as you can without spooking the fish and then trying to time the tarpon in his rotation around the light and get him to eat. The snook are a little bit easier to hook, um, but they're still picky as well. So you're actually sight fishing for these fuckers, like, and you're, you're literally seeing like 10 to 30 pound tarpon and just, they're just, you know, circling the lights, they're smashing into like little pods of bait. It's pretty, it's, it's, when you first see it for the first time, your jaw kind of drops. It's kind of cool. So Chad, Chad came down there and fished with you, didn't he? When you kind of first moved down? Yeah. So we were, we were down here for about three weeks he had a trip planned with his wife that fell through or something they had going on. So they, they're like, Oh, Hey, we come see you guys. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we get, to, it's, it's just get a flight down here and you're good. We'll get, we get, you know, we'll pick, we'll do the whole thing, stay here with us. So we, we got the boat the day before they arrived. <laughs> so we literally, and we were supposed to get the boat a week prior, but it, it was just the, the, the dealership had some shit to work out with the boat. So we fight, they figured that out. We finally got the boat. So we went and hit the lights and we did that about three nights. Um, we caught a bunch of snook. And neither one of us uh, landed a tarpon. We both hooked a tarpon, didn't land it. Um, and then uh, we went out to the ocean one day because the other thing too, they were here in April. It was like super windy. Um, we had like this whole like April wind pattern going on here. And uh, but we did get out to the ocean one day. And Chad was on the front of the boat, and I was pulling around. And, you know, totally learning this whole polling process thing. And we had like three 60 to 80 pound tarpon come right by us, chat. And we, we spotted them last minute, uh, last second, I should say, because, you know, it was choppy and windy. But Chad took a shot at them, made a great cast, but we just didn't, we didn't hook up. And, and that, yeah, so but we had a great time with him and his wife. They're great people. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that was so fun. Brian, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm no, no, I, I go for it. Yeah, Dave, so if you could give any tips for, say, someone getting into ESOPs fishing, what would it be? Um, so, not, and not to self-promote myself, because I don't make anything from it monetarily, but just if you went to my uh, YouTube and type in Pogo Pike, I have probably every subject, most every subject covered on, from equipment to, um, you know, different, different, all different topics on fishing for pike and muskie um, on the fly. So yeah, and uh, yeah, so my YouTube channel, I would say if somebody's just, it's all free. It's, I laid it all out there the best I could. I mean, I'm subscribe. yeah. Oh yeah. Give us subscribe to Pogo Pike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I would say do that. Um, and then, you know, obviously just knowing if you have, if you have the option for pike and muskie in waters that you live near, then just go start exploring them, um, you know, and obviously then it comes out to the, you know, what kind of equipment do you need, da, 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 da. And then if you're also, which is I highly recommend, if you're also interested in pike and muskie, um, hire a guide. Like if you don't have them in your backyard, um, travel somewhere, go out to Wisconsin, 
anybody can reach out to me in my Instagram, Pogo underscore or Pogo Palm Tree now. <laughs> I went from Pogo Pike to Pogo Palm Tree. I thought that was funny. Um, so yeah, if you go to my Instagram, Pogo Palm Trees, hit me up. If you want a guide out in Wisconsin, I would highly recommend going out there in September or October. That's like the epicenter of fucking musky, in my opinion. Then you got the guys in Virginia, um, Blue Ridge muskies. Um, you know, there's some guys in New York. Um, and then Kentucky, there's some good, obviously Tennessee, I'm sure, I don't know any guides in Kentucky or Tennessee, but Virginia and Wisconsin for sure. Um, yeah. And, and I would say, yeah, if you have the, the resources to, to hire a guide, or if you, if you do it yourself or just make sure you've got some pike and musky water for sure. And, uh, just, you know, grab an eight weight, you know, make sure you got bike art on it, 60 pound bike art on your fly, um, or wire, I was more of a, I was more of a fluoro 60 or 80 pound guy. Um, and uh, definitely strip set. <laughs> if you don't strip set, you're fine. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I was, that was going to be my next question is like recommended rod weight lines and everything else. You pretty much answered all of that. Uh, yeah. It's on my YouTube channel. Yeah. It's on yeah. my YouTube channel. Yeah. And, and just quick and dirty though, Brian, like eight, nine weight for Pike. Um, you don't need anything more than a five or six inch fly for on an eight or nine weight, 60 pound bike guard, strip set, figure eight, always figure eight. If you can't see the bottom of the water you're fishing, figure eight, figure eight, figure eight. Um, yeah. And then we move up to muskies, you know, nine, 10, 11 weight. You could beef up your flies a little bit. Um, strip set, figure eight. And, you know, just, there's a ton of resources on social media now on the internet, on YouTube, mm -hmm. all this stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so differences uh, from those predatory fish to the saltwater, uh, gear for what you're pursuing in the saltwater, like your, your jacks and your yeah. uh, snook and tarpon, what are you running for gear over there? Obviously seal drag reel, that's, that's like the, the big right. thing is having seal right. drag, but rod right. weight lines, things like that. I guess it depends on presentation, but if you, Let's say you were on a budget, but you're, you're going down to Florida, like you're saying like, hey, come on down, let's go fish, grab yourself a fly rod. If you told yeah. somebody to do that, not brand specific, what would you tell them to get to come down and play? Okay, so your best all around rod would be, I would say a nine weight, because eight weight is a little bit too small for big tarpon, nine weight you could probably get away with under a hundred pound tarpon. You know, some guys that are listening to this, brother, he's full of shit. You need at least a 10 weight. But if you're balling on a budget and you need the best all around rod, I'd go with a nine or a 10. Um, you need some floating tropical line, whichever brand, you know, but you need it because it's warm down here, as you know, so that tropical floated, you know, floating line, tropical line, mm -hmm. um, nine or 10 weight and with leaders, you know, just, you know, which is, I'm getting used to like, it's almost like a trout leader, you know, you've got nine, 10 foot leader, um, you know, all, and then, you know, typical like 40 pound butt section, 30 pound mid section. And then if you're fishing for tarpon, you might need like 40, 50 or 60 bite guard or tippet. Um, if you're fishing for snooks and reds, you might only go like the last three feet of your tip uh, leader might only be 30 pounds, right? So yeah, it's not, I would say nine, 10 weight floating tropical line and um, just a basic, basic nine foot leader and then changing the tippet depending on what you're going for. And the cool thing about the flies, like tarpon flies and snook flies. Now, again, there's probably people that are going to listen to this. This kid doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm learning. But <laughs> what I have experienced is that you could catch a snook on a tarpon fly and you could catch a tarpon on a snook fly. So yeah. 
you know, you don't need to get crazy on, you know, when you start sight fishing for permit in, in bonefish, then it gets a little more technical, right? Because catching a permit or a bonefish on a fly is a little bit more technical um, and it takes a little bit softer and smarter presentation and getting them to eat. Um, not to say that tarpon are hard to get to eat because they are, but um, yeah, you could just come out and fucking just have at it with snook down here, redfish, um, nothing fancy either. Yeah. That's yeah, fun. It sounds so, like a pretty good, you know, type of thing. But uh, John, go ahead. I was just gonna say, so, dude, I was, I asked Mark and I asked Chad, what what do you think uh, makes a rod good in the eight? What 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 the what characteristics does an eight weight need to have to be good? No, uh, so uh, I should have said that a little different. What, what makes a rod functionally sound in the figure eight? What, oh, what, would what be makes a rod functionally sound in a figure eight? Right. Oh, that's a yeah. good question. Um, I'm very, I just, so funny. I just had this guy, Scott, reached out to me last week. I spoke to him for a half hour this afternoon. He's a cl an, an old client from New York's good friend. And he's just getting into pike and muskie. We had a half hour conversation today. Um, so it's kind of like, kind of today's like the day of Pogo talking about Pike and Muskie again for <laughs> the first time in probably two months. Um, I, I'm very, 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 very particular to Tommy Shanks Chippewa River Rods um, out of Wisconsin. The, you, we talked about that, John, yeah. the, the chippy sticks. Um, I've tried them all. There's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me when it comes to how to build a rod and what goes into a rod and why this rod's better than that one. And they might be you know, engineers by trade, or they might have been fly fishing for 40 years and, you know, I don't know, drank with Lefty Cray and, you know, could tell you why a fly line <laughs> does what it does aerodynamically and the inertia and all that bullshit. But when you put a rod in my hand, I could tell you pretty quickly whether I like it or not. Um, and I believe that the reason why Tommy from Chippewa River Rods has nailed that the pike and muskie process is because it's a one piece I truly believe that rods are not meant to be four pieces. They only do that for shipping purposes. Um, it's a one piece. It's got a great butt section, like a fighting butt section. And um, it's durable, but it, it's, it's sensitive in the tip, but there's a lot of backbone throughout the whole rod. And so, you know, a rod with good backbone, a sensitive tip, but not too sensitive and something with a fighting butt that you can really kind of like, you know, like I always use my forearm, like when I would load the rod, like in my yeah. forearm and fighting a fish, having that butt section in your forearm, especially with a pike or muskie, not that it's a long fight at all, but just having that leverage on such a toothy critter. And you're, when you hook a pike or muskie, that's in size, you're not fighting it. You're wrangling with the fucking thing. Like, you know, you're, it's, it's thrashing. It's coming out of the water. It's not like, Oh, he's got me to my backing and I got to put side pressure on him, And I don't want to break my eight pound tippet. Like you're literally wrestling with this motherfucker. Right. I mean, you ever hook like a 40, I've done it a 50 inch musky boat side on a figure eight. And then just all hell breaks loose. Like it's all instinct at that point, but that rod needs to hold up in that process. When I first started doing this, I was on the program because being a guy and I nothing wrong with sage rods. Sage rods are phenomenal, but they're not built for pike and muskie. I was breaking rod tips and butt sections. Clients were breaking them. I was breaking them. 
you know, it, it's it's you, they're 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 great casting rods for light shit. They're accurate, blah blah blah. But you need a rod that you can smack off a tree and it's not going to snap instantly. So you know, and, and I know like like um, Echo makes a really good like lower end entry rod. The Echo Ion. I used to guide with some of those eight weights. Those held up pretty well. Um, I know um, Dave Huff uh, down in. Uh, um, uh, was he Kentucky? Uh, Dave, Dave Huff. He makes really like good entry level pike and musky rods um, with a little bit of a butt section, but you configurate them well and they're durable. I think that's the recipe for pike and musky is durability um, and figurating and having a rod that you're not going to bust by constantly putting leaders through the tip section when you're figurating. I don't know if that helps, John. No, dude, it does. It, it helps a lot. You know, and the re reason I'm asking is because I've got some buddies that they, they build rods that they actually build pretty damn good rods. But this is like I was talking to them about it. You know, they, they came up and we were fishing together and I was talking to them about good because I'm planning on fishing Beast of the East next year. Nice. And. Um, you know, we were just kind of they're trying to put the recipe together for you guys are kind of brainstorming. Yeah, yeah. we're. we're if they if are, I would say if they can build a one piece, great. If not a two piece, then if not three piece, and if not a four piece, and then just having, just having, and Tommy's rods are also eight foot ten inches, and then you got this extra fighting butt, so you're really throwing like an eight six, right? So it's all, and then and then you're throwing an eight six that's got like really the perfect action because it's a one piece in my opinion, and 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 then having that like stick not. You know, we've all held rods that are like like a, a 10 weight that feels like a 12 weight, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like I think a good rod is you hold a 10 weight, but it feels like a nine weight, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you build a rod that is a 10 weight, but feels like a nine weight, but has the durability of a 12 weight, right? So it, it's like trying to find that balance where, you know, you're not going to, especially pike and musky fishing, because you are blind casting all day. My, my, the famous last words of some of my clients that used to contact me, sorry, to contact me in Connecticut were, oh yeah, well, I, I tarpon fish every year with 12 weights down in the Keys. Oh yeah. How many times are you casting that 12 weight in a seven hour period? Five times, you know, then they'd be on my boat with a 10 weight for pike or musky. And I'd have a spin rod in the boat on purpose and then after an hour, they'd be like, hey, man, yeah, hey, throw the spin rod. Like, you're not built for this. Like, you know what I mean? You, you're just, <laughs> you're, you're, you're 60 years old. You're rich as fuck. You cast yeah. 10 times in the keys, take the spin rod and have a ball. And then come back to the fly rod after an hour, right? So how do you find a rod that does all that to keep your arm from not falling off? Because the biggest mistake I think with pike and musky fishing is we overcast, we overhaul, because we just don't have the experience. You know, like if I would work with somebody pike and musky fishing, I would show them instantly how to load the rod in two hauls and shoot it. You know, because what happens is you got these 24 foot shooting heads and a newbie will do a figure eight and then try to haul 16 times just to get the fly line out of the rod. You know, the actual sink. Hey, strip everything out and fucking rip that mother. That's it. Right. Yeah. Right. So you could do one, two. Like, so I would do a figure eight, flop the fly line out of the rod 10 feet, pick it up once, shoot the line behind me, snap the line forward, one, just one false cast and go 30, 40 feet, 50 feet back out there. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So there's a lot of magic to, 
how to you know get the, the right rod to allow you to do that all day. But then there's also little tricks that we're talking about right now, how to not false cast 17 times a 10 weight <laughs> for seven hours, pike or musky fishing. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I fish for salmon and steelhead. I have a 10 weight because our rivers have a high discharge, everything else. And that's right. something that I learned about that real quick. This isn't like casting a four or five weight for rainbow trout. You're like, right. you get all the line ripped out and then you just haul that son of a bitch out there <laughs> and you let it swing through the run and you fucking rip that bat and you throw it again and you just do that. And you don't want to be ripping on that because after about an hour, yeah, you're fucking gushing sweat. It's 20 degrees outside. You're gushing sweat. And you're like, man, <laughs> right. it's fucking cold. Right. My fucking arm hurts. There ain't no fucking fish. That's the bottom you, line. Are you spay fishing or switch? switch oh, right? fuck no. I'm single-handed. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I've I, never, I, I've never done the spay thing. I just curious. Yeah. I, I, I watch guys do it. I, uh, I don't, I don't have switch or spay in me. I, I grew up with a single hander. I'll stay with a single hander. Somebody will be like, Oh, well you have to try spay. Well, uh, fuck you. You know, I'll yeah. stick with my single hander. I, right. I can break right. enough rods. I'm not going to pay for a spay rod to break it. Right. Right. That's awesome, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's cool. But I want to totally hear you about your your neck of the woods up there i'd love to hear about it I, I, oh yeah yeah i love the northwest yeah it's definitely a different world that's for sure <laughs> yeah so, are you from there originally or no yeah yeah you yeah are. i was born here yeah nice. i i haven't ventured too far from home i'm not like you guys where i moved out of state and all that i've, I've stayed yeah. pretty close to home here nice that's so, awesome good yeah. fishing so you know can't can't oh, really walk that. away from, you know can't leave fish chase fish right yeah, it's right. <laughs> I, was up in, I, I went to um olympia peninsula once steelhead oh fishing. oh okay yeah it's north of me yeah yeah well i was i was living in san diego for a little while for work and my buddy and i went up there and hired a guide and we floated down some indian name river i forget the name of it for like probably <laughs> ho or hump tulips or or uh quinault green. or something yeah it'll it'll clack a craft there was elk on the side of the huh. river there was you know yeah the eagles were like crows they were everywhere i was like this is nuts yeah i got yeah. a quack of craft too so yeah that's like a northwest standard the, the quack of crafts are actually made like five miles from my house so you know. that's awesome yeah yeah you go right down to the factory store and like so what do you want to buy it's like how much money you got you know yeah 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 i drive by there on a regular basis going out to the river to go fish and uh, I'll drive so by there. I'm like, oh, they still got that Magnum Power Drifter in there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm like, hmm, I got to go out there and get on that. So that's yeah. awesome, dude. Oh, that's horse with a 35 jet. Yeah, it's pretty badass. So it's a good little river boat. Yeah. So do you? Which one do you have? I got a WF 16. It's a 16 foot weight forward model. Uh, so it's it's actually built for fly fishing, but I use it for everything. I don't give yeah. a fly. I mean, I'll fly fish, but I'm, I'm a total fishing horse. So I fish with everything. Whatever it I don't takes, fucking right. care. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if, if fly fishing ain't working out, I'll put on a wad of eggs and sand shrimp to go after salmon. So hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I guess I, I love the scenery. I love all that stuff in my neck of the woods, but yeah. it's definitely a unique fishery here. It really is. And so yeah. We're, we're spe it's special to have that yeah have you interviewed yourself on your podcast to, to tell all your audience about your your experience there oh yeah early on john and i did a, a introduction episode where we bragged about ourselves for like an hour and 30 minutes apparently well, people you, like it so well if, i was gonna say if anybody's listening to this for the first time go back and listen to john and brian's um yeah we try <laughs> to we try to keep it subject oriented towards our guests so yeah 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 well it's good to know that I, i'm gonna go back and listen to it 
I got a, I got some driving to do this weekend or Monday. Or, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to listen to a, a probably at least one or two of your podcasts. I'm not going <laughs> to listen to myself talk because it makes me cringe, but I listen to. <laughs> I listen to some of you'll, you'll end up listening to yourself. You're going to go back and say, God damn, did I really sound like that? What? I, we listen to ourselves, you know, to make sure it's like, okay, we're going to change this. Like John yeah. and I trip all over each other. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to trip over John. Never fucking works. Yeah. Never. Never, and, never fucking works, dude. I yeah. swear. Like we're, we're always uh, like, uh, uh, hey. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, like, it's hard yeah. when you're not in the same room. Cause like you can't read body language. It's like not, but you guys are, I mean, for what it's worth, we've been doing this for maybe an hour. You guys sound great together. We try. Yeah, thanks, yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. What else do you guys want to talk about? I got about five or 10 more minutes. But before I cut John off, John, you got another question. No, dude. I mean, we're I, like you said, we're, we're coming up to the end of this and dude, Pogo, you've been a fucking trip, dude. And thanks for sharing everything with this man. And yeah, dude, you're going to have to come on again. After you after you get the tarpon dialed in, you're gonna have to come on and talk about that again, dude. Like Absolutely. That's, that's fucking exciting, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that'd be great. Yeah, like let's uh maybe regroup late summer or something or early fall or like mid-fall. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. I would love yeah, that. fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, Pogo, we would love to have you back on, especially uh, you know, as the seasons change and everything else, like now our audience knows who you are. They, they know that you have a background. They can go find you on your, and I'm going to ask you where they can find you here in a second, but okay. they can go find you. They can learn more about what you're doing. But, yeah. but what, what I really appreciate, I slid over to your YouTube channel and I looked at it and it's like, you're very clear and transparent with your information. You're not sitting there uh, huddling and hiding this information and, and you shared just the bare basics. It's not like this big extreme thing. And that's, uh, that's something to be revered. So as seasons change, we'd love to have you come back on and, and do Thank this, you. but um, where can people find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So YouTube, just type in Pogo Pike and that's my channel. And like I said earlier, we talked about Pike and Muskie. I've got videos on there and thank you for the comment, by the way, like, yeah, I've got videos on there about, you know, fly lines and fly rods and uh, figure eighting and, um, you know, different, different subjects on, on the, on, on the, on the topic. Um, and then, um, I, I did change my Instagram from Pogo Pike to Pogo Palm Tree, which was a joke at first. And I'm like, well, I guess so, you know, I'm palm trees, palm trees make me happy. So you could go to, um, Instagram and just type in Pogo Palm Tree. Um, I, I it's, it's fun. It's great. You know, this is what we're doing right here and meeting John and now meeting you for the first time. Like, this is what fishing in my, my, in my, my, for my two cents, this is what this community does. It brings guys and girls together from all parts of the world and country. And you have like this common bond where I feel we're all so excited to share with each other and make lifelong friends instantly. Like we all have other hobbies in our life and there's careers and shit like that. And I, I have never, and, and, and I'd be totally open-minded to hear anybody else's opinion, but I have never seen a, a sport that brings awesome people together so fast and makes lifelong friends out of them. You know, it's just like, I have a lot of like childhood friends that I am friendly with and we will always be there for each other. But like, it's like the last 15 years of my life, like I met guys like yourself that like we spent a lot of time together now because of 
we're all good humans and we're, we're we've got each other's backs, but we have this common bond that's just amazing. Um, so, and, I, and myself, Kate, and a couple of friends, we did like a little um, hobby project. If you guys go to my YouTube channel and type, uh, there's, there's a video on there called For the Love of Fishing, What Ties Us Together. And a friend of mine from San Diego who is an aspiring like film maker kind of like short film stuff for social media, he came out from San Diego. We spent a week together and uh, we made this film for the love of fishing, what ties us together, which kind of sums up what I'm trying to explain right now. I'm not doing a great job, but if you guys want to check out that video or in your audience, um, it's a, it's always a fun filming experience to kind of share with the world that yes, we all want to hold this big pike or muskie or this big carp or this big trout or salmon or, uh, or tarpon. And, and that's cool. But the real gift is this, the real, the real magic is this relationship building and, and helping people on and off the water and life in general and finding people that you could associate with that make you feel good about yourself and you do the same for them. You know, so I think, um, I don't know why I got off that topic, but I'm just very passionate about that. And that's why like John, when he reached out to me and we started a message on my other dude's great. Like I can tell three sentences in, I'm like, this is my kind of guy. Like this guy's awesome. You know, and, and my invitation to you guys to come to Southwest Florida and literally stay here for three, four, five days a week. If you want to, you got a free room, you got a free boat, cover some gas money and that's it. And I'll pick you up at the airport. And I, I truly mean that. Like you guys seem like great guys and, and that that's what one of the benefits of I think being in this sport does for a lot of us. And I think that the, the grip and grin on social media is, you know, what drives us at the beginning, I think, and in the, and the, and the sharing that with what, oh, look what I accomplished, but I think the relationships is really where the juice is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jeez. So Pogo Pike and Pogo, Pogo Palm Tree and Pogo Pike on YouTube. That's my, that's my long winded answer. Where <laughs> No, that's that's perfect. You can I, cut any of that out if you feel. Like no, it, no, we don't. Lost. We don't edit anything, and okay. and you know what? But that's that's the. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, and what you guys are doing, you know, and I said this to Chad at SVS when I first met those guys, and I I kind of got a, a, a feel for where this fishing industry was going, where podcasts were going. Um, you know, like what you guys are doing, you know, like, and you say like your, your audience is growing and, and, you know, you, this, your, your anniversary is tomorrow, dude, you guys should be super proud of that. Like, that's fucking awesome because I guarantee you two have changed someone's life. I guarantee you have someone that you don't know that listened to your podcast, got a tip on something or went and then went and had an experience on the water and had a shit and eat and grin from ear to ear. Like, and then, and then made that person's a better day and he passed it on to his wife or his, you know what I mean? Like you, this is what you guys are doing is really fucking cool. Whether you change one person's life a month or 10 people, like you're doing something awesome. So I just want to say kudos to you guys. This is just keep it up. Well, fuck yeah, dude. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Man. We really appreciate it. Bogo. That's awesome. Yeah. Keep it up. You guys are doing good shit, man. I mean, and I'm going to listen to the, I've got a six hour drive back and forth a six hour drive this weekend so i'll make sure i listen to at least two or three of these yeah that's perfect i yeah. we appreciate it but uh well pogo thank you so much for being on the podcast we appreciate it from the bottom of our heart you know and we're definitely going to have to take you up on that south florida fishing trip yeah dude yeah absolutely and i'm and like like chad and i i said it to chad you know a year and a half ago and it ended up happening i kept on reminding them dude i'm not bullshit you know like i mean this you know, because we say things to each other sometimes. You meet somebody, yeah. but I'll I'll keep on reminding you guys. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, everybody, thanks for having me. It meant a lot. Yeah, dude. Everybody, go go follow Pogo everywhere yes. you can. <laughs> go subscribe to his YouTube. Go check him out on Instagram. Man, this thanks so much for coming on, dude. And yeah, thank you. All right, and, yeah. Uh, so I guess we're gonna close it out here, Brian. You got anything, man? Oh, uh, that's it. Uh, you know, uh, if you guys want to get more information, uh, obviously, uh, you can reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us if you have any questions about Pogo or you want to get in touch with them. Uh, if you're interested in uh, adding anything here to this podcast, you're always welcome to contact us through any one of our social media platforms that we are on, which would be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, not Twitter, uh, Go Wild, uh, which is the Go Wild app, which is a totally new thing for us, but we're over on there as well. Uh, you can pretty much reach us anywhere in the world, uh, or you can email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com if you have any episode suggestions or anybody that you think would be interesting to have on. So anything else, John? No, I mean, just also, if you want to come on the podcast, reach out to us. You know, we're we don't care if you're brand new to fishing or if it's even if it's something you're looking to get into. Uh, just, you know, link up with us. We'll be happy to have you on. And this episode was uh, brought to you by some of our close friends. And uh, that's Max and Outfitters, Troutlander Nets, Lid Rig, and Morris Flacco. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time.